0: This audio is from the Axis Church in Nashville, Tennessee, and is part of our sermon series from the Gospel of Luke, Learning the Real Jesus. For more information, please visit theaxischurch.org.
1: Our scripture today comes from Luke chapter 9, verses 37 through 45. On the next day, when they had come down from the mountain, a great crowd met him. And behold, a man from the crowd cried out, Teacher, I beg you to look at my son, for he is my only child. And behold, a spirit seizes him, and he suddenly cries out. It convulses him so that he foams at the mouth, and shatters him, and will hardly leave him. And I begged your disciples to cast it out, but they could not. Jesus answered, O faithless and twisted generation!" How long am I to be with you and bear with you? Bring your son here. While he was coming, the demon threw him to the ground and convulsed him. But Jesus rebuked the unclean spirits and healed the boy and gave him back to his father. And all were astonished at the majesty of God. But while they were all marveling at everything he was doing, Jesus said to his disciples, let these words sink into your ears. The Son of Man is about to be delivered into the hands of men. But they did not understand this saying, and it was concealed from them, so that they might not perceive it. And they were afraid to ask him about this saying. This is the word of the Lord.
0: Thanks be to God. Amen. Well, welcome and good morning. I'm Jeremy, one of the pastors here at the Axis. and. Uh, Thank you for being here today. Go ahead and grab a copy of the Bible and turn to Luke 9. If you haven't already done so, there should be some around uh, the auditorium underneath the seats in front of you or on your device, Luke chapter 9. As you're turning, I want to remind you that next week is Baptism Sunday. Um, So if you haven't been baptized yet, we would love to help you with that, and we'll hold you under as long as you want us to. Um, We've got friends giving a lot of money to hold certain friends under a little bit longer, so... We'll do it. Um, no, it's terrible. It's a dumb preacher joke. Anyway, uh, Luke chapter 9. Okay, this is our 43rd week now spent in dedicating ourselves uh, to this book, this book of, of Luke. We're, we're looking with fresh eyes. Our, our goal is to look with fresh eyes every Sunday into who Jesus is, who the real Jesus is. What we've seen up to this point is that Jesus Christ, it's clear through what's happened up until this point, over these last 43 weeks, that Jesus has unparalleled power and unmatched authority. He's got power over nature, over demons, the spirit world, over sickness, over hunger, even over death. He calls his 12 disciples to himself, He calls them to Himself, these strategic followers of His, in order to train them and equip them so that He can then send them out on mission to help lead His mission in a particular way. And all of our work over the last several weeks has been culminating to this powerful moment where we looked at it a couple weeks ago where Jesus asked His disciples, Who do men say that I am? And they said, well, some say Elijah, some say Moses, some say a great prophet, some say John the Baptist. And then everything got quiet and Jesus says, who do you say that I am? Everything was going into that moment. The disciples answered, you're Christ of God, you're the Messiah. You're the one who's been sent here to fulfill all of God's promises. You're the one that we've been waiting on. And then Jesus quickly says this about himself in verse 22 of Luke 9 you can follow along right there it says the son of man speaking of himself must suffer many things must be rejected by the elders the chief priests and the scribes he must be killed and then on the third day he must be raised and then from this point on from now until we're finished with the book of Luke we'll see that the, the attention of Jesus Christ is set to a particular point in Jerusalem It is set. His focus is set on the cross at Golgotha, at Calvary, there in Jerusalem. And this plays out in his teachings. As we looked a couple weeks ago where he was training his disciples and equipping them, it was no longer, blessed are those who do this or woe to you who do that. His teaching has shifted. His teaching is now, you must deny yourself. You must take up your cross daily. And you must follow me. Then last week what we looked at is how Jesus uh, took Peter, James, and John up onto this mountain where he was transfigured, where he became something utterly different, angelic. Um, it was like uh, the curtain was pulled back of his humanity and we saw him in his glory, right? The, the eternal Christ, we saw him, uh, Peter, James, and John did, Luke describes it, and it's like he's wearing dazzling apparel and his face is glowing like the sun. And he was there not alone. He was there with Moses, the, the Moses, and the Elijah. Moses is the face of the law for God's people. Elijah, the face of one of God's great prophets in the Old Testament. It was a way of God saying, this is the fulfillment. He is the Messiah. It validated the fact that Jesus is who he says he is. And it creates faith in Peter, James, and John that Jesus is, in fact, the Messiah as if it wasn't strange enough and powerful enough to have Elijah and Moses there with Jesus as he was in dazzling apparel. There's a voice that breaks out from this glory cloud that says, this is my son, my chosen one. Listen to him. Listen to him. And then that's where we come to our text now. This has just happened, and now we're in verse 37. So let's follow along here as we learn together. Luke chapter 9 and verse 37. On the next day, so apparently they camped out up there on that mountain together, which if you were with us last week, you know that's what Peter was hoping. He was hoping he could build them a tent and sleep over. So they had to sleep over. And the next day, uh, when they come down from the mountain, a great crowd met him. Well, must have been a crowd, okay, made up of many, many different people, but then also including his nine other disciples who didn't go up on the mountain with him. This story is also told in a parallel passage in the Gospel of Mark, Mark chapter 9. And Mark 9, we're told by Mark that this crowd is made up of some of the religious cats, like the scribes, who were arguing with the disciples over why they couldn't cast out a particular demon. And Luke gives us insight into this moment. Luke chapter 9, verse 38. Continue with me here. And, and check this. Behold, a man from the crowd cried out. Now, this wasn't a, a small, um, sobering uh, whimper. This was uh, the same word for cried out is shout, scream, and roar. Okay? So yeah, cried out is an understatement in how we understand cried out in our context today. This man uh, from the crowd cries out. He says, teacher, I'm praying to you. I'm begging you that you would consider my son, that you would pay attention to my son. Or he words it as "that, that you would look at my son for he is my only child. And here's what happens, verse 39 a a spirit, an evil spirit, a demon seizes him, takes control of him, and then suddenly and unexpectedly, he shrieks out. There's this shrill that comes out of him. He cries out, it's a different word for cries than what the father did. Okay? Somehow it's even more intense. And it convulses him and he foams at the mouth and shatters him. We, we don't really have a, 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 we don't use the word shatters unless we're talking about like a glass shattering. And that's really what you get here with this word it crushes, smashes, beats, and breaks. It is to ruin. Uh, it's uh, used a couple times in the New Testament for the word annihilate. Okay? Very powerful word. And it will hardly leave him. In other words, it only. He's only kept alive with great difficulty, barely escaping death. When it convulses him, he escapes death by the skin of his teeth. He's an inch from death. It would hardly leave him. So apparently this young man suffers from some sort of epilepsy as he's possessed by these demons. And then the father cries out in 40. He's continuing here in verse 40. And I begged your disciples. I asked them, pleaded with him to help, see if they could cast it out, and they they couldn't. So here's a distraught father, right? He comes to Jesus asking for mercy. And I love this prayer. This prayer can be applied to any friend that you have. Parents, this prayer can be applied to your children. I beg you, consider my son and his struggle. Just love that. Very simple. Here in this story, we've it seems... Uh, like it's the case for many who came to Jesus and approached him, we have a person in need of mercy and help. Many people come to Jesus seeking mercy. Maybe, maybe this is you today. And you might not word it that way, like I'm showing up to a church gathering so that I can receive mercy, right? Often that's because we're too proud to admit that we need mercy. We don't really think it's that bad. We rephrase it as we're just struggling through something. No, we need mercy. We, we need this to lift. This is heavy. I'm struggling, And I hope that you're encouraged this morning. I believe you're in the right place for help and mercy. Well, this father, he he begs and pleads before another man, not caring about his reputation. Right? When when you're when you're pleading with, with someone else, like you're 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 humiliating yourself, right? In order to try to, to try to get something, you're, you're you're begging. He cares more about his boy than he does what other people think, and he asks for mercy on his son who's suffering from these seizures, very violent seizures. This father would most likely have to stay with his son 24-7. And if he's not with his son 24-7, his heart and his mind is. Even if he has someone caring for him while he goes to the marketplace, he still has to set up the logistics of who's going to care for his son in this special way. And even then, he's not necessarily with him, but his mind and again, his heart are with him. He's worried about His son. This is such an inconvenient burden, such an intense burden. We learn from Mark 9 that this demon um, not only gave this this boy seizures, but it would cause the boy to lose the ability to talk and hear. He was mute and deaf. And it's been this way for a long, long time. And Mark 9 tells us that the demon would throw him in a fire often, throwing him into the fire and then into the water and then into the fire and then into the water. So the, the sores on this young boy would be horrific. The odor that would come from these wounds before modern day medicine could care for them is a horrendous thought. A burden that he would be on his family is hard to envision. And then not being able to hear or talk, that just adds such a whole other layer of difficulty and frustration with this situation. We know from our time back in Luke 9, 1 and 2, you can see it there in your own copy, in verse 1 and 2, that Jesus has given his disciples the power and authority over demons and diseases, right? And he called the 12 together and gave them power and authority over some demons. No, it doesn't say that, does it? He gave power and authority over all demons and power and authority to go cure diseases. Yet here there seems to be a problem. Here the disciples have met their match. What sort of demon is too strong? What what demon is getting the best of Jesus' boys here? Is it the demon of seizures, if that's a thing? Is there a demon of epilepsy, if that's a thing? No, if you will, it's the demon of disbelief. Faithlessness. Not believing that that Jesus is giving the disciples what it is he's promising them. Faithlessness in the power of Jesus and his work. He's just promised that he's given the disciples all the needed power, all the needed authority, and yet just moments later, days later, hours later, the the demon has the disciples bound and powerless. They can't do this thing. Perhaps the disciples began working out in the flesh, Perhaps pride was stepping in to the disciples and their ministry to the needy people. Or taking the power for granted. Or taking credit for the power. Or no longer realizing that it's Jesus and His power doing these things through them. Regardless, they're powerless before this particular demon. Powerless because of unbelief, disbelief, and faithlessness. And what Jesus does here, He he goes straight to the heart with His next words. He speaks in such a way that they hear Him clearly. They cannot misunderstand Jesus. Look in verse 41. Jesus answers to this unbelief. He says, Faithless, O faithless, unbelieving, those lacking in trust, O faithless and twisted generation, you people who are being led astray, who are drifting, who are deformed, this needy Faithless generation, how long am I to bear with you and be patient with you and endure with you? Bring your son here. Well, here in this moment, we might be seeing perhaps a picture of the humanity of Jesus. You know, his mind is set on the cross, he's laser focused on the cross. His disciples still aren't getting it, they're not believing him in some way, and he's weary. And he's still bearing with them. And he asks an honest question, how long am I to bear with you? How long am I going to continue to be patient with you? How long will it be before I come and, and I'm no longer patient with unbelief? That's the heart of what he's getting at. You see, friend, the Bible is very clear that one day there'll come a time when Jesus Christ will return to this earth. And those who believe him, they will be with him. And those who do not believe him, they'll no longer be shown patience. They'll no longer be shown mercy. But they will suffer for their unbelief and disbelief. So those friends of mine who are in the room who don't consider yourself a Christian, what are you doing with Jesus? Are you taking him seriously or are you waiting to have some moment happen in your life whether it be marriage or children or something new or something different and then is when you're going to take Jesus more seriously we well, see the end of our life comes much more quickly than we realize much more quickly than we'd ever imagine the bible tells us that we all will stand before Jesus one day and he will sit there as judge and he will judge all of us. And friend, if you appear before Jesus in your unbelief, He'll no longer be patient with you. He will no longer bear with your faithlessness. He will judge you. He will judge you to your core. And so please hear me. He's not always going to be patient and merciful as He is right now. He's not always going to bear with you as He is right now. I'm, I'm, I'm asking, I'm, I'm pleading with you for your own good and for your own eternity's sake. Listen to Jesus as the cloud said about Jesus. Listen to him. Consider him. Press into belief in him. This is a matter that deserves your full attention. I wish I could say it more clearly, more boldly, in some way that you could hear it. But you must give him your attention. Here in this story, Jesus, he's making his way into a mess. This is a very difficult situation. Rather than pushing back in this moment, and distancing himself, you see Jesus pressing in. Friends, this is a, a beautiful picture of the real Jesus. I mean, after all, do you realize how scary this moment would be? Do you realize how loud this moment would be? I mean, the, the angst, the anger, the frustration, the fear. This boy here is out of his mind. He's out of control. He's erratic, unstable, to say the least. He's, he's shaking about. He's throwing himself into a fit. There's screams. There's screams. You, would, you and I, we would distance ourselves from him. We would keep a good running distance from him, right? We want a few steps just in case he starts heading our way because he's unpredictable, he's unstable, he's a risk. And Jesus says to that, bring me your son. He's convulsing. His muscles are making his body do all these crazy things. His limbs, his body's moving. He's collapsing to the ground in pain. He's shaking uncontrollably. He's going into these spasms. He's shuddering. He's jerking. He's thrashing. And Jesus doesn't say, bring this person here, or, or bring this demon here, or bring this project here, or take this thing to the doctor. He says, bring your son here. Man, that's a beautiful proclamation of the gospel of Jesus Christ. You see, the gospel says that God gave his son to us so that we could bring our sons, if you will, to Jesus and be brought to Jesus as sons and be healed and then given to the Father. I love that. Such a clear picture, simple picture of Jesus in the gospel. But continuing here in verse 42, while he was making his way, while he was coming to him, the demon um, threw him into this violent fit, all right? Threw him to the ground. So the idea isn't that he's just laying there, because this same word is used for ripping, bursting, and breaking. Okay? So there's all kind of Madness going on here. As he's on the ground, he's convulsed. He's convulsing him. But Jesus commands this unclean spirit. He rebukes, and another word for punish. He punishes this this demon. He warns and commands and rebukes this unclean spirit. And he cures the boy. He restores the boy. He heals the boy, and he gives him back to the father. He rebukes the demon. He heals the young man. The demon leaves, and he gives the boy back to his dad all better. I love how Mark phrases this story and, and from his perspective in Mark chapter 9. <clears throat> and when the Spirit saw him, immediately it convulsed the boy and he fell on the ground and rolled about, foaming at the mouth. And Jesus asked his father, how long has this been happening to him? I believe that Jesus asked this odd question so that others would be aware of just how long this has been going on to actually be able to speak to just how helpless and hopeless this situation is. This isn't something that's just been overnight that can be fixed quickly. This isn't just a a fit that he's in. This has been going on from childhood. You see it in Mark chapter 9? From childhood. And it has often cast him into the fire and into the water to destroy him. But if you can do anything, have compassion on us and help us. And Jesus said, "If, if you... If you can, bro, all things are possible. Jesus probably didn't say bro. All things are possible for the one who believes. And immediately, the father and child cried out and said, this is one of my favorite prayers in the Bible. I believe. Help my unbelief. In other words, I don't think so. But I want to think so. I don't believe, but I need to believe more. It's, I've got a lot of doubt. I've got some struggle here with whether or not you can do He's been this way for so long, it's hard for me to say that I believe it can change right now. And then Jesus doesn't say, get out of here. What do you mean you don't believe me? He doesn't say, well, that's it. You ruined it. You were so close to having a better son. Immediately, Well, when Jesus saw that a crowd came running together, he rebuked the unclean spirit, saying to it, you mute and deaf spirit, I command you, come out of him and never enter him again. And after crying out and convulsing him terribly, it came out and the boy was like a corpse so that most of them said, he's dead. But Jesus took him by the hand, lifted him up, and he arose. He said, I believe, but help my unbelief. He not only heals his son, he also gives him belief. Because he does this thing for him. He answers two requests of the father that day. And all those years of suffering, all those years of treatment, pain management, of grief, of setting up child care for this, this son, of all the shame, the, the disease, the, the burden, the illness, the wrapping of the wounds and the rewrapping of the wounds, and all those years, this young man is healed instantly. Jesus hasn't met his match. The disciples were tapping out here, but, but Jesus has power here despite the unbelief of this father and the unbelief of the disciples. This mercy that you see here of Jesus, the compassion and the power, and friends, he's still bearing with you. He's still waiting right now to extend to you mercy and compassion, love and grace. I encourage you this morning to, to cry out to him from the darkest and deepest, most lonely places of your heart, regardless of how long this situation has been going or how short this situation is that you're struggling with, and just give it to him and cry out to him Lord, I believe, I want to believe more, be with my unbelief. Now, look at what happens in verse 43. All are astonished at the majesty, the power, the grandeur, the majesty of God. And all who witnessed this, they realized that this was a revelation of of God's power and greatness, right? They knew that this was something very powerful, something they've never seen before. But now, while they're all marveling at this and talking about this, everything that he was doing, Jesus said to his disciples, Let these words sink into your ears. This is the first time I've seen something like this in Luke. This is more than just, he who has ears to hear, let him hear. He says, let these words sink into your ears. Listen very, very carefully. But even more than that, this is is a type of phrase that's used for the intentionality of making up a bed and putting pillows where they belong. Let these words sink carefully into yours. I want to lay these words down into your mind and heart. Fluff these truths up like a pillow and strategically place it where it needs to be. I want you to take these truths and don't just hear me. Place them into the depths of your person, the depths of your soul, the depths of your heart. Please don't miss this. Let these words sink into your ears. The Son of Man, speaking of Himself, is about to be betrayed and delivered into the hands of men. They didn't understand. And it was concealed, it was kept secret from them so that they would not perceive it. And they were afraid to ask him about this saying. It was like this: they were silent out of respect. They were afraid to ask him. Luke attributes their ignorance of this to the purpose of God, that Almighty God was keeping them from knowing this. But regardless, these disciples simply don't get it. They don't don't go and raise the dead after this, right? They don't go on this miracle spree. It actually says that they were afraid. It says that they were distressed. Luke doesn't go on and and prove to us further signs of the kingdom, but what he does do is show us the door of the kingdom. This is what Jesus is getting at. This is what we we all must walk through the door of the gospel, and Jesus comforts the disciples with the gospel. The Son of Man is about to be delivered into the hands of men the disciples are afraid they're distressed by all this they're they're having trouble looking onward to the cross and to his death they're having difficulty seeing the empty tomb they 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 don't have a concept for a suffering suffering messiah a messiah whose victory is going to come through his death and here's where you and I are so privileged and fortunate i mean we we live post cross we live post empty tomb We know that the tomb is empty. We know that Jesus isn't dead. But these disciples are getting hung up on this, just like you and I would if we were stuck back there in this moment pre-cross. And Jesus helps them by telling them the gospel. We know just earlier, He said the Son of Man is going to be betrayed and into the hands of, of sinners and wicked men. And He's going to suffer. He's going to die and be crucified but on the third day, I will rise again. He's telling them the gospel. Christian, you must know that the gospel is not just for unbelievers. The gospel is not just for those who aren't Christians yet. The gospel are for those who are believing. The gospel is, those, is for those who are Christians. And Jesus is continuing to teach the gospel to his disciples and to his followers. He's drilling the gospel deep into their souls. That is where their faith had to be anchored. Christian, in the gospel, is where your faith must be anchored. Do not anchor your faith into your Christian activities. Don't anchor your faith into the theology on your t shirt, bumper sticker, or coffee mug. Don't anchor, your, don't anchor your faith in the performance of your Christian activities or your religious consistencies. Anchor your faith in Christ and Christ alone of what he accomplished for you in his finished work. You need this gospel moment by moment, day by day. You need this early and often. We must have the gospel at the forefront of our minds at all times. Don't lose sight of Calvary. Don't lose focus of the empty tomb. Never move so far beyond the cross that you're no longer moved by it. Fight the drift to assuming the gospel or forgetting the gospel. Let these words sink into your ears. The Son of Man was delivered into the hands of sinful men. The the Son of Man suffered greatly. The Son of Man was crucified. The Son of Man was killed. And the Son of Man beat death three days later. And He does this all for you. Every bit of it for you. To the glory of His Father. Friends, this gospel is what saves you and this gospel is what sets you free. This is the good news that saves our souls and this is the good news that continues to save and free our souls. You never, ever, ever outgrow your need for the gospel. You never out-educate your need for the gospel of Jesus Christ. When you move beyond the gospel, you are very unhealthy and and you, you are in more dangerous territory than what you could ever realize. We cannot outgrow our need, outmature our need for the good news of Jesus Christ. And Christian, in many ways, you can gauge your health, the health of your faith in Jesus, by whether you're moved by the gospel of Jesus Christ when you hear it preached, when you hear someone tell of it, it, when you hear it in song. You can gauge your health as a Christian by how you handle yourself as you hear the gospel. So, I encourage you now to focus right now because I'm about to preach the, the gospel as simply as I possibly can. And my fear in preaching the gospel to you this morning is that you'll tune out because you already know it. Many in the room could even tell it a lot better than I can. But you're going to probably check out because you've already got this. This is something you did when you were 12. This is something you did when you were 22. This is something you did last Tuesday. What we'll do is we'll check out from the, hearing the gospel, we'll stop feeding it to our souls, and we'll drift to unhealth, we'll drift to believing lies about God, we'll drift to believing lies about ourselves. We'll begin experiencing a self-righteousness, we'll begin having a, a sort of swagger in our religion, right, in our Christian uh, activities. We'll have this pride that comes up, and it's an abomination before God, and it's very dangerous, it's very dangerous. You'll reduce the Christian life to keeping a list or merely acting good or saying nice things or not saying those things because those are bad. Or you'll just be focused on trying to be better than the next girl or the next guy. And then when we feel like we can't be good enough to be good enough, we feel horrible. And we live a life of despair, not one of victory. We lose our joy in the Christian life and we lose the peace that used to comfort us. And so I encourage you to hear this and believe this and be saved by this. Why did Jesus come to earth? Why did Jesus enter into human history 2,000 years ago? Why was he delivered in the hands of sinful men? Why did he suffer? Why did he die? Why did he beat death? It's because, friends, we were dead in our sins. Mankind, all of us, we needed to be uh, more than improved We needed to be more than just remodeled or restored. We were dead. We needed more than makeup on a corpse. You put makeup on a corpse, it's still dead. We needed life, right? We needed life. We needed Him to come make us alive. See, we were dead because our sin is what separates us from God. And we've had this curse placed over us because of our sin. And the Scripture teaches that because of this sin, we're dead and we're enemies of God. We've made God our enemy through our rebellion and we're sinful, all of us, yet God is holy and he alone and he is just and being perfect, being holy and being just, he must punish sin, all of it. He can't be lax, he can't be chill, he can't be tolerant of sin, of any sin. If he were to be lax and chill over any particular sin and accept sin and it's like, well, we're just gonna let this one slide, he would cease to be God. You see, our sin is a problem. It is our greatest problem. Our sin is ultimately against God, and it is what stands between us and God. It separates us and our relationship with Him. And a relationship with God is what we were created for above all other purposes, is to have a relationship with our Creator. And it's what we desire more than anything else in life. We want this relationship restored, but there's nothing we can do to see it restored. If there's to be any chance of this reconciliation with God, having this brokenness restored, having our sins forgiven and taken care of, it would only be if God would take action, if He would take the initiative. The answer doesn't come from you and I performing or doing a certain thing. It's only if He would take the initiative and act. And without God sending Jesus to us, Without God mercifully intervening for us, we would have no hope. We'd be unable to bear the coming storm of God's judgment and his wrath towards sin. There's no hope unless God would take the initiative and take action. But there was something in the heart of God that changes everything. And it's found in a verse, it's found in the whole Bible all through the Bible. But it's found in one particular verse that I know that you probably do know. You probably have it memorized. For God so loved that world. Not us, young and innocent, sitting out in a field, blowing dandelions, daffodils, these things. Don't have an overly romanticized view of your rebellion. We hated God, before he changed our hearts. Our sin separated us completely from him. No hope at all. Rebels, very proud rebels, knowing exactly why we're rebelling, running out of hate for him. For God so loved that world. He loved those rebels. Oh, he loved those who hated him so much so that he gave His only Son, so that whoever believes in Him, it doesn't say whoever climbs this moralistic ladder or outdoes the person on their right and their left. Whoever just believes, and it's whoever, it's anybody. Anybody can get in on this. Whoever believes in Him, they won't die. They will live forever, for God did not send His Son into the world to condemn you but in order that the world might be saved through him. And whoever believes in him is not condemned. John 3.18 Friends, this is the good news of Jesus Christ. Jesus coming to us, dying for us, is our only hope, the only hope we would ever have. And Jesus knows that he would would suffer. He he knew that he he would die. This wasn't an accident. This was on purpose He told his followers of this often. This did not surprise him. Jesus lived perfectly without sin, obeying the Father always. And he dies on the cross as your substitute, taking your place in order to love you and forgive you, pardon you, and redeem you. In order for you to no longer dread God or fear death or fear him, but that you would rather have hope of eternal life and love God and experience his love personally. That you would no longer fear death, but look forward to life, everlasting life. For Christ suffered once for sins this is what he did on the cross. He suffered for us on the cross, the righteous for the unrighteous, so that he would bring us back to God, restore us into this relationship with him. Jesus does so. And what he does is he takes your death upon himself and he kills death and he stops your funeral. He brings you back to life and delivers you back to the father. Jesus died. He killed death. He destroys its hold on us through his resurrection. And to those who believe Jesus, friend, you too get to beat death. You see, the cross is what we all deserve, yet Jesus endured this for us. If we would simply place our hope and our trust in him, believing that he took the wrath upon himself, the outpouring of God's wrath, the storm of judgment for us. He endured all that was necessary. He endured all the wrath. Every bit of God's wrath toward your sin, Jesus owned it. And so the wrath of God is completely finished. It's finished. It's been all poured out onto Jesus. There is no more for you. Our only hope ever was to have a perfect substitute, a spotless lamb, if you will, Stand in our place as our substitute, and this is what Jesus was doing. He stood in our place and became fully responsible for us. He didn't leave it up to somebody else. He didn't leave it up to you to be good enough or work hard enough. He did everything that's necessary so that his words could be binding and true and legal in the courthouse of God. It is finished. He did absolutely. He did everything that was necessary. Everything that was necessary for you. And you get to be, by faith, made as righteous as Jesus. Why? Because he became as unrighteous as you. And he died for it. 2 Corinthians 5.21 says, For our sake he made him to be sin who was perfect. He knew no sin. So that in him we might become good enough. We might become the righteousness of God. Of God. This is our justification. You might have heard it said that justification is just as if I've never sinned. There's also another side of justification it's just as if you've always obeyed. So He takes care of your mistakes and your sins, and His life as your representative substitutes your life of sin. So it's as if you always obeyed. For those who believe and hope in Jesus, when God looks at you because of Jesus, He sees. Jesus. In other words, God treats you now, if you believe Jesus, you have faith in Him, if He's your Savior, your Lord, if He's your King and you submit to Him, then when God looks at you, He looks at you as He looks at Jesus. He sees you as good as Jesus is, as holy as Jesus is, as righteous as Jesus is, and as sinless as Jesus is. This is what it means to be justified. You've been legally declared innocent. Perfect blameless, righteous, and holy because of what Jesus Christ did. Everything's been done. There's no condemnation for those who are in Christ. And Jesus is essentially saying, place your hope and belief in my work and my power. Believe me. Well, I'm suggesting three ways that we respond to this today. To know, apply, and pray. First, I encourage you to know that you drift towards unbelief. You gotta know this. You drift towards unbelief. We even sing a song, it says, Prone to wonder, Lord, I feel it, prone to leave the God I love. Like we, we're, we're, we're still fighting the tension, right, of, of the old man that we still are, the old nature that we still have, the old self, the carnal nature. Paul ta- calls it the carnal nature. All right, we've got this, but now we, we also have the Spirit of God living in us. And so there's this, this tug-of-war of wills within us of, like Paul says, the things I want to do, I don't seem to do. The things I don't want to do, I find myself doing. I'm, I'm, in this, I'm in between this flesh and spirit. I'm, I'm carnal and I'm new. I'm, the dead man is just it's a slow death, and I'm trying to have this new life in Christ. And we drift because that tension is still there. The fight is still there. So I encourage you to be aware of just the fact that you drift towards doubt and disbelief. We drift towards believing that the main issue is something else other than Jesus and something else other than our sin. When we sin, it's always ultimately something in us that's not believing the gospel. We're doubting something somewhere. Every time we choose to sin, it's doubt, it's disbelief somewhere. And we will drift to believing and hoping in a thousand other things for our worth and our value and our meaning in a moment. So no how we drift to unbelief. And then secondly, apply. no, and then apply. Apply the gospel to your disbelief. You see, the disciples, their faith, their hope, their confidence, it wasn't found in themselves. It's not in them trying harder to help this possessed person. The problem isn't solved by looking within. Why couldn't we do this? You see, the problem is solved by looking at Jesus and understanding where that power, where the true hope comes from. It's gazing your heart, fixing your heart and the eyes of your heart onto the finished work of Jesus. This is how we can now move forward in our faith. The only way you're going to get out of the rut that you're in, the only way you're going to get out of the darkness that you find yourself in, is if you apply the medicine of the gospel to your discouraged, unbelieving, and wounded heart applying that medicine of the gospel early and often, and setting your heart's affections and attention on the cross, on Jesus Christ, and the empty tomb. That is how we plow through disbelief. It's how we make our way through the struggle of despair. And Jesus, he doesn't say try harder. He says have faith in my life, death, and resurrection. And look at how hard I tried. Look at how hard I worked in order for you to simply believe and rest. Like Jason was saying in our call to worship this morning. You see, it's applying this gospel truth to our unbelieving heart and to our unbelief that tells us who we now are as a result of what Jesus accomplished for us. It's fighting to believe and trust in who Jesus is has made us. And now Christians, we get to live from this new identity that he's earned for us and that he's declared over us. It's through faith in Jesus that we learn that we're perfectly loved and accepted by God regardless of how well we may do today or how bad we may sin. It's faith in Jesus that we realize, man, God is doing something special even through our struggle and that it is truly finished. So apply this gospel to your hearts early and often. And lastly, I encourage you to pray. Not just prayer in general, but pray for faith. Pray for faith and belief in Jesus. Ask God for faith. Man, use the prayer that this dad prayed. I believe, but help my unbelief. No one in here believes perfectly. That's why personally, I struggle calling myself a believer. (laughs) I'm not preaching heresy right now. Careful, pump the brakes. I am a believer, but I know that I'm not a perfect believer. So I'm I'm one who's believing. Because when I sin, I doubt. I'm not, like, I know that there's no perfect believer this side of eternity. So we must be praying for the ability to continue to believe and to believe more. And as you pray for faith, you're going to be able to see Jesus for who he is. Give me faith to see you as you are in the midst of this struggle. But this struggle feels so thick, it feels so heavy, it feels so real. I need faith to believe that you are victorious. That Jesus, that the real Jesus is strong. That he's fearless. That the the darkness that feels so heavy and thick and real trembles at the presence of Jesus. And when he says go, they're gone. I need faith in my struggle to believe the real Jesus because it's easy to believe in my darkness, it's easy to believe in my despair, it's easy to believe in what's lacking. I need faith to believe that he's enough, and that he's strong, and that he's one, and that he can help me. So I encourage you to pray for faith to believe. I love what Tim Keller says about faith. He says, faith is transferring your trust from your own efforts to the efforts of Christ. You see, you were relying on other things to make you acceptable. But now you consciously begin, this is what faith is consciously beginning to rely on what Jesus did for your acceptance before God. All you need is nothing. Let me say that again. All you need is nothing. If you think God owes me something or you something for all your efforts, you're still on the outside of faith. All you need is nothing. Trust Christ, He will save you, He'll make you new, He'll make you whole he will change you trust Jesus rest in his work well let's remember his work for us this morning I pray that the hearing of the gospel of Jesus Christ has somehow become fresh this morning and that communion is very easy for you today you know Jesus put this before his disciples and said remember me when you do this hopefully through the preaching of the gospel this morning you find yourself remembering him easily And then as you come to the table, you come to the table this morning with a humble heart. With a heart that's tender towards him. Remembering what he's done to make you sons and daughters of God. Perfect sons and daughters of God. Christian, you've got a bright future. Man, you've got so much good coming your way for years and years and years centuries and centuries. This is, we just got to get through this life to experience what we were created to experience. Until then, we remember Jesus and we thank him for changing us in such a way that we have hope now for that with God forever. And a practical way that we do this is through something Jesus set up with his disciples where he says, take this bread and remember me when you do this and this represents my, my body broken for you and, and this Wine represents my blood that's poured out for you in my death. So this is our hope. We're not celebrating or acknowledging and remembering our performance. We're acknowledging the performance of Jesus as we take this meal together. So when you've set your hope and your trust and your belief on Jesus, knowing that it's only through him that you're saved, I invite you to come and you're going to take and you're going to dip and you're going to taste, reminding yourself of where true hope comes from he's healed you he's given you back to the father similar to the story this morning and we celebrate how he did it through his life death and resurrection let me pray for us father thank you for the love that you have shown towards us the compassion that you've shown to us the mercy that you've shown towards us Father, thank you for sending your Son, Jesus, to us. Help us never, ever get over the fact that you sent your Son to us because you loved us, because you liked us. God, help us believe this. Help us believe it more this morning. Lord, help us believe it more even as we share in this time of remembering, Lord, of what you've accomplished fully for us. Father, I ask that you... Give life to those who aren't Christians yet in this room and that you give us continual faith and belief in you and what you've done for us. God, help us. Give us faith. Give us strong faith to believe you, to believe you more than our darkness. God, help us. Add your special blessing to this time. Thank you for saving us and changing us. In Christ's name, amen. This audio is from the Axis Church in Nashville, Tennessee and is part of our sermon series from the Gospel of Luke, Learning the Real Jesus. For more information, please visit theaxischurch.org.